Welcome everyone to the 51st episode of Everyday Channel. With me tonight as usual is our co-host Bob Wang. Yo, yo, yo. And we got a special guest tonight, Mr. Eric Landon from, I think, originally Oregon, but now based in Thailand. That's right. Hey, everyone. How's it going, guys? Pretty good. Pretty happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, me too. Exciting week for Magic Pro Tour, Bob's article, and the mulligan changes. Mythic Championship, sir. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't know what any of these new names are. I noticed that, like, on the, on the oh, I was about to say Pro Tour, they, they retconned the Pro Tour in a way. Like, everybody's now a Mythic Championship five-time top eight competitor or everything, you know, uh, except for the Hall of Fame, I think. Yeah, you know what's even funnier is um, Brian David Marshall, like, they're one of their main coverage guys, who's, um, unfortunately, he's leaving, but he's still doing this last uh, MC if you will, but he was like messing up the names a little bit because he had he had to kept switching between like Pro Tour, Guilds of Ravnica, and Mythic Championship Cleveland. So I thought that was funny. <laughs> it's, it's confusing. At, at some point, I was wondering like maybe he doesn't even care for the name change anymore. Like I, I just feel like every time Rich Hagen, who's been around forever, has to say Mythic Championship, I feel like he's a uh, dying on the inside a little bit. <laughs> he just pronounces it in a way that that makes it sound hilarious. Yeah. But yeah, in true fashion of this podcast, we decided to have Eric on uh, primarily because he's in a time zone that we haven't had on before. So like for Eric, it's like pretty late in the evening, whereas for Bob, it's like rather early in the morning, I guess. Uh, We're exactly 12 had, hours apart. Yeah, if we had met on, it would actually be like six, six in the morning for him, but he couldn't really get up on a Sunday morning this early. Uh, so he can't tell us about how his Seatrino deck fared that we talked about last week. But from the intel I got from him, he went, I think, 4-2. and two. He actually almost made top 8 at his local tournament. With a deck containing Back to Basics, Veteran Explorer, and and Path, uh, Path to Exile. So I was a little <laughs> bit worried how that deck would work out. And I'm still not 100% convinced, but like, Matt, somewhat made it work, I guess. <laughs> Guys, what have you been playing this week, Matt? Bob? Actually, Bob, what would you say is like your primary deck? You've been on, I think, Four Color Loam for a while, and then I saw you play something else. I can't really. Yeah, no. I, so I played Four Color Loam back in Richmond, which was like, it was like summer of last year. So it's been a long time since I played that deck. Um, I, some people have been asking me like, do I like that deck still? Um, I think once the Miracle started playing Accumulated Knowledge, um, the matchup got a lot worse. Um, they also stopped playing Mentor, which made it, like, even harder, because Entreat is almost impossible to beat. But now it seems like they're back on Mentor, so I think the deck is better again. I've been playing many different decks in Legacy. There was a period around um, GP Shizuoka that I was playing Slow Depths, and that deck was really, really good for a period. I think the online metagame, at least, has adjusted somewhat, so that deck is no longer great. So I, it just feels like Legacy is incredibly balanced, I think. There are a lot of decks that you can go out and play to like a 65%, 70% win rate. And I know Eric disagrees with me here, so we can definitely discuss this, but it's in my feeling that like kind of the best decks in Legacy now are still probably the blue decks, but like by a very small amount. So for example, I've been winning about 70% with Delver. I think Miracles is probably maybe a 70% win rate deck. Whereas I feel like the Chalice of the Void decks are, are really good, but I would put them at maybe 65% win rate decks. Um, the key difference being, I think it is harder for a player to pick up Delver or Miracles and hit 70% than it is for a 
um, player to pick up Chalice and hit 65%, if that makes sense. So then you might have the perception that, like, oh, this is a 65% deck versus a 60% deck if you're winning more with the Chalice decks. So that's kind of how I feel about the format, but I think it is very, very close to being completely balanced. Yeah, you, you just touched upon that. You actually wrote a pretty long or um, very, very researched article, I want to say, on Channel Fireball. And to provide people who haven't read the article with like a small introduction, I'm going to read out the conclusion that you got in the end. Quoting, All in all, Legacy is the most diverse place it has been since the printing of Delver of Secrets, and possibly ever. I expect we will look back on this time as an exciting era of Legacy where you can really play anything. Just be ready to interact as early as possible if you wish to continue slinging the best cards in Legacy. And that article actually was... I don't want to say surprisingly controversial because your articles are probably always like controversial to a lot of people. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like people are maybe not even reading the article. They're just like, yeah, fuck that guy. Or like, yeah, he's right. Uh, but you drew like 170 comments on Reddit. And I don't even know how many on, on Facebook. Uh, but people were also calling like for a lot more of your articles. And I think the overall feedback was quite positive. Like the, the most upvoted comments were of people that agreed with you. But... As usual, like people also don't always agree with it. Uh, but I have to say, I'm feeling very much the same about Legacy right now. Uh, there are some things, and we talked about that like in some of our chats, um, that I'm feeling like I would enjoy Legacy even more if Grizzlebrand was gone. And I guess it makes sense to invite Eric, because Eric is basically the master of Grizzlebrand. He actually knows how to operate Grizzlebrand the best. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not for Eric, show and tell, though. That deck plays Grizzlebrand as well. <laughs> uh, th that's not your thing. You want to Not get really. like, the raw Grizzlebrand? I like to take it out of the graveyard. <laughs> <laughs> you like to pay one mana or two mana. Three is yeah. just too much. Three is way yeah. too much. <laughs> so, I used, I used to like primarily on Black Red Reanimator? Uh, recently I've been mostly playing the, the Grixis Phoenix deck, actually. Um, last season, the, the Magic Online seasons, uh, I stopped playing on my main account and started playing on like multiple different accounts to avoid having difficult game ones with Black Red Reanimator, and that was, like, super successful for me. Uh, Bob got muted there. Uh, oh, that's because the dog was barking. <laughs> yeah. Bob um, doesn't like Grizzlebrand. I was like, whoa, what, what just happened? Anyway, uh, <laughs> that was really episode. successful for me. That worked really well. Uh, I had to buy a bunch of different accounts, though, and it is a little bit annoying, like, changing accounts all the time. And they and then they announced that they were going to make it so we could hide our username. So I just like told everybody what my accounts were, and then now they haven't done that. So I just instead of making <laughs> more accounts, I've kind of just stopped playing Reanimator because it is it's way more difficult when your opponents um, mulligan to the to the cards that are best against you, knowing you're you're on Reanimator. And I think the Phoenix deck is really good, and I've been doing pretty well with it. Although I can't get through as many leagues with it as I could with uh, with Reanimator. So that's what I've been playing mostly. Yeah, I see your. Pretty much, I think Mats Ole overtook you today. He's got like 30 trophies. Uh, you're on 12, I believe, unless you got in like one in the last couple of hours. No, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you looking to compete? Are you actually looking to, to grind it out just for bragging rights? Because like my notes say, ask Eric about trophies. <laughs> <laughs> well, not really. I try not to focus on it too much. A part of that, I mean, that's kind of why I use the other accounts too. I don't really like feeling like I need to get trophies. Um, I don't know. The trophies are silly. <laughs> I, just, I mean, it's just cool at the end when you have more than everybody, but uh, I, just, I just like to play a lot, and and uh, if I'm winning, I end up with trophies, so. Yeah. Yeah, I guess also if you get a, a lot of leagues with, like, I think you told me, like, Black Red Reanimator, you can finish a league in, like, less than an hour or something. 
Yeah, yeah, I could get through a league in as quickly as like 40, 45 minutes and as long as an hour. Maybe you hour can actually write, write some bot or some AI that actually <laughs> like plays it for you because like the sideboarding is almost always the same from what I've seen. Like I actually also played it on Magic Online and then like the, the game once can maybe be the same. Then you just let it play like 24 hours a day and if you come ahead like even a little <laughs> bit, if, if that covers electricity, then you're good to go. Yeah, like a reanimator bot that pays your yeah. rent. <laughs> That would be pretty sweet. <laughs> Grizzlebrand pays my rent. That's the way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, it is, it is really funny. Um, and since we're on the topic, I kind of do want to talk about it a little bit, is um, the kind of trophy leaderboard. So I agree with Eric. It's kind of just like another thing that like can be interesting to point to, but it doesn't necessarily mean anything. It often the people at the top are often the people who play the most. And usually the people at the top have a good win rate, um, but it doesn't mean they have the best win rate. Um, but I did want to point out that, like, kind of the top decks that everybody is playing in the on the trophy leaderboard, just to get a, a little bit of a sense of what people who are winning a lot are playing. Um, and so it's, like, one thing I keep track of from time to time. So um, looking at the leaderboard now, we have, let's just look at maybe, like, the top six decks or so. So Matt's Olay is first with 13 trophies. And I've been talking to Matt's a fair amount. He was the one who really, like, was my tutor for four-color alum because he played that deck a lot. So he's been playing that deck. He's been playing Cleric Stompy, which is like oh, God, Ali don't of that deck. <laughs> Alienate Arbiter, Containment Priest, Eldrazi Displacer-based Stompy deck. Um, then uh, he's also been playing a lot of Sylvan Plug, and he said that he felt like... Uh, I, I, well, this is the last time I spoke to him like a week ago. He felt like Plug was the best. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. In, so, in the format? <laughs> uh, well, he said that if he had to go to a GP, there's a good chance he would play Sylvan Plug. Um, oh. So I, maybe I'll try it at some point. I What I like about Sylvan Plug is that you get to play Mox Diamond, Ancient Tomb, and Green Sun Zenith as Accelerants. So that really hits that critical mass of Accelerants that like I think maybe Eldrazi and Moonstompy play, but like no other Chalice deck quite have, have quite as many two mana lands um, or similar Accelerants. So, uh, and... Basically, Trinisphere is really good now, um, or it's always just really good on turn one, and I think that's what people playing Moonstompy realize as well, and they're playing four in the main, which makes complete sense to me. Um, so Matt's Alay's in first, Eric's in second, playing a lot of black-red and um, some Grixis Phoenix, as he mentioned. Mostly in third Phoenix, place. Actually. I only have yeah. like three trophies with black-red. Sure. And then Lewis also tied with Eric, um, and he's been playing. He told me all his, almost all of his trophies, or maybe all his trophies, are with Grixis Delver. Then going a little further down, we have Dan Ward, who's been playing Sneak and Show, um, Mahler, who has been playing Delver mostly, but a couple other decks in there as well, and then Balenciaga and Boba, who's been playing Esperblade and Blue White Delver. Um, so yeah, a, a decent mix at the top. Um, not as much combo. I guess Phoenix is combo. Um, it's a little bit of hybrid combo, but a fair amount of Delver and I guess Chalice from Matsole. But yeah, it's interesting to me that there's. Have you actually ever seen a season where like guys who primarily play Miracles finished in the top three, or even like Grixis Control? Stefano got second last season, and he he plays almost exclusively uh, Miracles. Was it proper second or like I think you you showed me in uh, in Beijing that like all your accounts combined had like I took myself out of the race. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Zuko and didn't want to, like, discourage people. When Sensei's right. Divining Top was legal, I'm pretty sure most of the leaderboard was on Miracles. Even though it was, like, so slow to play, the win rate was, like, 75 or 80%. So it was just like, okay, you can still, like... And people were just, like, frustrated playing against it. So I think people just scooped early in a lot of cases because um, it was so damn good. <laughs> um... I'm wondering, I've got the the numbers pulled up in your article right now, and what sticks out to me, like, first of all, we have to mention that it's a lot harder to keep track of the winning decklists, because um, Wizards of the Coast has changed the way they publish decklists a lot over the last one, two years. But I think, Bob, tell us a bit about your methodology. Blah. <laughs> <The way you're> <laughs> <laughs> you put this together. Um, you, you've been keeping track ever since 2000, 2013, I believe, like for six years now of the top decks in Legacy. Yeah. And for the last period, you you have a lot of data, actually. Yep. So I, I avoid um, competitive leagues because Wizards, essentially, they follow a formula where if your deck is 15 cards different from anybody else's deck, they post your list. Um, but it's not a good representation of the metagame because, like, Grixis Delver will only be posted once when there might be, like, four or five O's. Um, so I avoid those. I, I Basically, I only look at Magic Online Legacy Challenges, and I also look at, uh, in real life, uh, paper events with eight rounds or more. Um, so most of the data is going to be from Magic Online. I'm looking right now. Um, it was about 392 lists from Magic Online and 197 lists from paper, so about double um, is influenced by Magic Online. Um, overall, though, I say between paper and online, it's broadly similar. The difference is basically 10% of players uh, in real life who play like Delver and Thalia, those two kind of macro archetypes, 10% um, of those are replaced online by players finishing well with Grizzlebrand decks, uh, Tendrils decks, and Dredge. So uh, more combo online, which I find kind of interesting. Um, and actually, I want to get your guys' take on this too. Um, do you guys think this is... Um, like, first of all, I guess, do you think this sounds about right? Second of all, do you think this means that those combo decks are better, um, given that the online metagame is ahead? I think the data doesn't really mean a whole lot. <laughs> I, I think that good players are going to win with decks that they find they win with, and there are a lot more grinders online that play Storm, for example. There are some dredge players online. There aren't that many in paper that are like, you know, top tier dredge players playing all the time. But there's like a couple people that play dredge online and do very well with it. A couple people who play storm online and do very well with it. Uh, and so that's the results you're going to end up seeing. I feel that like one difference is that people feel more comfortable playing decks like storm or like more technical decks online because you really can take your time. You don't have to worry about anything. And we've been there when like your ANT opponent like has been thinking about this play for like two or three minutes and then he gets gets off on like this super complicated play that you probably couldn't like come up with on paper and also overall it's easier and more comfortable for like i want to say like mid-tier players like people who know the format but who are not like super dedicated to it to just like even like borrow a deck or put together a deck and then randomly play it at a paper tournament and maybe even do well with it as opposed to picking up something that's more technical like we mentioned like like dredge or Mm -hmm. Storm combo overall. I think that's one reason why people are slightly more biased towards playing combo online. But yeah. that, that's like like a explanation I would give you after the fact. Like if I sure. had not known that it was like that, I would probably not have come up with that. 
Yeah, my, no, my I... other explanation potentially could be that, like, it makes more sense to grind leagues with combo, and then if you're going to play a challenge, you might play the deck that you've had the most experience with recently, grinding leagues. Um, yeah, what were you going to say, Eric? Yeah, no, like, basically what you guys are saying, like, like for example, I know uh, Orem67, who plays all kinds of different decks online, uh, is also well-known for doing very well with Dredge and top-aiding multiple challenges and things with Dredge, and, I mean, I'm not going to speak for that person because I don't actually know, but... At least, like for me, I would have never bought Black Red Reanimator, but it was very—it's very easy to try it out online, you know. And then if you find that you do pretty well with it and it's fast, you might jam more leagues with it, and you might become more and more confident with the deck and find yourself playing it more and more, and be, you know, end up placing more or playing it in a challenge or top eighting two challenges in a row with it. <laughs> yeah, didn't he yeah. actually win two challenges in a row? Win two challenges in a row, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think. Yeah, basically what you guys are saying. I think that's way more likely to happen online than it is in paper, unless you're like really rich. <laughs> and you just buy <laughs> all the decks. By <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I find in paper like there are a lot of people who, like myself included, like for example, I own all like almost all of the blue decks. Yeah. But like, if you're gonna ask me to like build Drudge, I'm like, okay, I just don't have those cards. Right. That's exactly where I was at. I had basically all the blue decks, and I could shuffle around different blue decks tournament to tournament. But I wouldn't have ever like dedicated an entire like amount of money to a, a combo deck you know until i did <laughs> <laughs> but that was because i played it online right yeah that, no that's a good point um a lot of the combo strategies generally play more unique cards um so although the cards are are cheaper um it's kind of a like more of a hassle to go out and buy them so that that could actually be another underlying reason yeah. um yeah. Are you saying people shouldn't play Gaia's Cradle in their young Pyromancer decks? The synergy is there. <laughs> Whoa, Julian, you just blew my mind. I didn't yeah, know this is a possibility. <laughs> I mean, it snowballs at some point. I guess you got to make use of the, the extra mana. There. There's ways to do that. <laughs> um, but, but, but actually... Um, stood out to me was that like the most deck played in the period you looked at, which is like Guilds of Ravnica and Ravnica Legends, Miracles at only 9.8%. Like, I still remember, like, way back in the day, people called Canadian Threshold the 9% deck because it used to be the most played deck, and still at any given tournament, on average, only nine people, uh, nine people, yeah, right, 9% <laughs> of people played Canadian Threshold. And we've seen higher numbers over the couple uh, last couple of years, and maybe those were a little bit influenced by Magic Online uh, because I've seen, like, top miracles go up to something like 20, sometimes even 25%. Whereas right now, it feels much more balanced uh, across the board. Like, the second most played deck is, I think, Grixis Delva at 8.1%. And then actually, like, the most played combo deck is Sneak and Short, only 5.6%. So the, the three most played decks would be Miracles, Grixis Delva, and then actually, oh, wow. Grixis Control. The, yeah, Grixis Control at 6.5%. So nothing really stands out all that much. And even though, like, actually, I gotta say, I do like the new Miracles. Um... But it being at only 9.8%, I think that's actually a pretty reasonable representation of the power level of the deck. Like, I would still rank it like it's one of the best decks in the format. Um, but it doesn't, like, feel outright, like, as the best deck. I couldn't even tell you what I feel like the best deck. What, what do you guys think? What are, like, the, the top three quote-unquote best deck? I, I always, like, try to avoid that nomenclature. I, I <laughs> to call it, like, the, the strongest decks, the most likely decks to succeed at a tournament are... Yeah, or maybe just like highest win rate decks. Um, so you made a good point about how like balanced it is. Another thing I keep track of is kind of 
the top 70% of decks, how many decks does it take to hit that 70% of the metagame? And right now in Legacy, that number is 16. And in Modern, uh, a format many people com consider to be extremely diverse, that number is only 12. So Legacy is even more diverse than Modern right now. Um, and in, in the past, Legacy, to hit that top 70%, it could be like five decks when it was like really just consolidated on Miracles and Grixis Delver. Um, but even the top three decks that we're calling right now, like Miracles, Grixis Control, Grixis Delver, that's only under 25%. So if you think about old Miracles versus the top three decks now, it's like that's crazy that that's about equivalent. Um, so going back to your question, though, like what I think are the kind of highest win rate decks right now, honestly, I think everything's extremely close. Um, I still think that Grixis Delver is really good. Um, I've, like you, you asked me earlier kind of what decks I was considering. I, I've played a, a bunch of different decks kind of leading up to GP Niagara Falls and SCG Syracuse. And I think there's a good chance I'm just going to play Grixis Delver. It has the fewest weaknesses out of any deck I've tried. Um, and it has like some decent matchups as well. Um, so I like Grixis Delver. Other decks that I really like... Um, um, it's so hard because everything's so close. I, I really <laughs> think like... The seven decks that have done the best um, uh, recently on, on Magic Online, just like most recently, I think all seven of them are really good. Um, and that would be Grixis Delver, Storm, Miracles, Sneak and Show, Depths, Death and Taxes, and Moon Stompy. I think all of them are really strong. Um, I think almost all of them have like one or two major weaknesses. Um, other than Grixis Delver, but in exchange, Grixis Delver doesn't have as many like great knockout uh, punch matchups either. So I think all seven of those decks are really good. Eric, how do you feel about that? Like, would would you take? Do you feel proficient enough and the power level of um, Phoenix being good enough for you to to play it at the next Legacy GP if you were to go? I actually don't know if you're going. I think if I were to go to a GP tomorrow, I'd probably play Phoenix. Yeah. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I do. I think it's really good. <laughs> I think it's really good that there are there are fewer instances of the deck just failing itself than there are with Reanimator. Um, so I'd probably rather play that at a GP if I were to go tomorrow. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but as far as like best decks go, I I kind of look at the format a little bit differently than Bob, and I also don't think that the banning of Deathrite Shaman has actually changed anything. Um, I kind of see the format as being like there are five types of decks you can play, and I agree with Bob that probably the Chalice type of deck is at like 65% probably if you play it the best, and if you play the Forcible Tempo type of deck, which would be like any of the Delver strategies, uh, you could reach you know about 70% or so. Um, I mean, online maybe a little higher, but like let's say at a GP, um, you could expect to do yeah around 70%. And then the other two types are uh, Force of Will control decks, which I think are slightly worse than Force of Will tempo decks. So Force of Will control decks would be like Grixis Controller Miracles. And then uh, the last two types of deck would be uh, Chalice decks. So Chalice plus whatever type of threat you like to play, which could be um, the Moon version or mm -hmm. there's... Uh, four color control or four color chalice. There's the moon chalice, and then there's Eldrazi, and then the last one would be like turn one or two combo decks, so like Storm Reanimator, Dredge, 
these types of decks. Earlier today, I actually played yeah. against the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> nice. It's been a while. <laughs> so I don't think that any of that has changed with it, with or without Death Rage Shaman. Like Grixis is still probably the best. The other ones were still fine. They were all like I did better with Reanimator when Death Rage Shaman was around. I I thought it was actually better positioned back then than it is now. Um, I don't think the formats become more open. I think it's just about the same. Like you have the but same. Don't you feel like I think the argument that people, including me, would be making is that like the gap between the most powerful death former Deathrite Shaman decks like Crixus Diver and Crixus Control and the rest of the format has gotten a lot closer. For no, example, I, I don't think so. I, I like just think more much... people play Deathrite Shaman deck. I mean, if you look, you weren't playing. Grixis Delver, you were playing Elves and you're still playing it, right? And, and does it feel like so much more weak? Mm, it feels like it's it feels a lot better, to be honest. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Bob, better, you're yeah. playing Deathrite Shaman. You're playing Delver. Does it feel like that much worse without Deathrite Shaman in this format than it did in the other one? I mean, um, were you winning ten percent more with Deathrite Shaman? I kind of doubt that. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I, I think I was winning around the same amount. Uh -huh. So that you you make a good point there, um, in that I don't think my win rate with approximately the same deck has appreciably changed. Right. Um, what what <laughs> has changed is I'm facing way fewer mirrors yes. and way way more of the random decks. Yeah, this is because um, of the rhetoric around Deathrite Shaman was that it's the best deck and you have to play that, but really it wasn't. <laughs> it's basically the same. So Black Dark Reanimator was the best deck? Because that's what you I actually thought it was at the time, yes. But that that's, I don't need to get into that, because I, I mean, I'm not going to argue that I'm right about that. I felt it was the best deck at the time. I had the best win percentage with it. I played a lot of Grixis Delver. I had a good win I mean, percentage you have the with that as to well. Show. But I found Black Red to be a little better after I learned how to play it better. Um, but like, if you look at top eights of Deathrite Shaman Legacy, there is no indication that Deathrite Shaman Grixis Delver was oppressive. Like, the top eights look almost exactly the same as they do today. Well, see, that's the point I, I dispute you on, is is that, like, Grixis Delver is probably putting up twice the number of top eights um, when Deathrite was legal. Well... So, it, I mean, obviously that could just be, be because, like, more people were playing it. Um, all right, well, I, I just looked at... Um, yeah, I think that your data has a lot to, isn't just top eights, right? And a lot of it's from challenges. So I just looked, I just clicked on like the last couple of major legacy events when Deathrite Shaman was legal. And the top eight was Storm, Death uh, Death and Taxes, Dragon Snoppy, Stoneblade, Grixis Delver, Miracles, UB Reanimate, UR Delver. And the last Star City uh, now was Azorius Delver, Demir Death Shadow, which is a Delver deck, Demir Delver, Grixis Control, Sneak and Show, Miracles, Azorius. Stoneblade, Death, Death, and I, these aren't, I didn't just look at two, I looked at a bunch of them, and they all look pretty much the same. Mm, well, what the point is for me, it's much less about Grixis Delver, which I think I would even say was the best deck, but I could be wrong. I, I would actually, I could agree to somebody saying, well, maybe it was actually some kind of depth deck that would have been the best in that kind of metagame, but that's that's past. For me, it's more about Grixis Control. I feel Grixis Control invalidated a lot of like mid-range strategies because it was like this this brutal, slow but not too slow moving bulldozer that just like drowned you so much in card advantage. That was even because it it was like a very broad deck. It didn't have like a very focused strategy. It was really just like all about card advantage. 
So yeah, you couldn't really attack it very well. Like even if you brought in stuff like like choke, I, at some point like I'm still to this day not sure whether I should even bring in choke with elves against them because like they can play around that very well. And at some point, which felt like the most de- degenerate moment in Legacy, people played Blood Moon in their four color deck and was actually decent. <laughs> it just felt like too much for me. Yeah, I mean I don't think you can look at even like Bob's numbers, and I don't think they would show that four C control was oppressive like whatsoever. But I do think. The banning of Deathrite Shaman has made that deck terrible. <laughs> so I think banning Deathrite Shaman has made some strategies either much, much worse or completely unplayable. Uh, for example, like you don't see any more Food Chain, which was a fringe deck, and that's not the reason they banned Deathrite Shaman. But that's basically unplayable, I think. And four color control has become like drastically worse. But I don't think it was oppressive, and I don't think there's any numbers that show that it was. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like to, to give you like not a stats backed stats backed analysis, I just feel like in the pre Death Chain meta, or like during Death Chain itself, it felt there were many, many fewer decks that you could actually play and expect to do well with. And like you honestly, to a certain degree, I almost sometimes felt stupid playing elves. Not so much because I think the deck could still compete. But if I compare win rates, for example, this is just on elves. Um, I'm winning a lot more, like a lot, lot more. And yeah. I didn't expect that. Even though, like, I was, I was like, if the third gem gets banned, I think it's, I, w- I wanna see that. But I wasn't like, oh yeah, this needs to go. Like I used to be with top. Uh, but overall, I really enjoy like what legacy is like right now because I feel like but- outside of having like Bob mentions having an answer to like very fast, dedicated linear strategies, I feel like. I can play and beat almost anything. I mean, you went to tournaments with elves when Deathrite Shaman was legal and you won those tournaments. <laughs> yeah, I did, but I also I sometimes lost and I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the same thing's happened since then, right? I mean, I, you've been to tournaments and didn't win. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't think that there are more playable decks. I, I do think you you probably, you don't face turn one Deathrite Shaman as much as you used to because it's banned. <laughs> but other than that, I mean, you're still seeing Delver decks more than almost anything. And the control decks, you're not seeing four-color control anymore. Not much, but a little bit. You're seeing Grixis control, which is worse. Um, but you're seeing about as much Miracles as you were before they banned Deathrite Shaman. Uh, you're seeing more of a variety of Delver decks, which makes things maybe more interesting and more fun. But really, those games like Grixis, Delver, with or without Deathrite Shaman, they pretty much play out the same, right? Uh, I don't feel like they play out the same because, like, Bob is, is arguing from the stats-based stats thing, like where he's saying, actually, it got more diverse. I'm more arguing from the point of view like of gameplay, yeah. because I feel like both playing Grixis Control and playing against Grixis Control, it always felt not very deep. Uh, to me, like the deck, I've called it like the chunt deck of control decks, because it feels like almost like a tap-out control deck at times. And that's just... Maybe that's that's different for other people, but to me, I feel that that kind of playstyle is really boring to me. Like, yeah, well, so I agree boring. with you. I'm not a big fan of it. I didn't like it when Deathrite Shaman was legal. I also didn't think it was that great. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm not very good at it, which is possible because I did try it and I never found it to be like that great. Um, but people are still playing that style of deck. But they're not playing Leo World anymore, and. I think that's, that's also a big part. Like, Leovold's was... Well, like, I am still seeing a little bit of Leovold, but Leovold's, like, fringe now, yeah. Leovold, Leovold was really good against elves. <laughs> against elves, but as well as, like, against other decks. Like, if you if you were able to stick Leovold, if you wanted to come back against that card, it's actually surprisingly hard. Yeah. No, it was a really good card. 
I think that was one of the things though that that like I mean are you happy why wouldn't uh, are we happy that Leovold's gone? I, I thought that that that, that card was kind of cool. I don't know. I guess I guess it was only in super greedy decks and that's what Deathrite Shaman uh enabled. But yeah, I'm just, I just also feel like it's cool that people don't get to almost for free play three colors and then even splash the fourth color and Blood Moon at times anymore. Yeah. Because like the ideal format, and of course that's like different for everyone, to me is like where playing two colors is reasonable and three colors is quite the cost. And it didn't really feel like that anymore. And I think that's like, I don't argue for color diversity. I argue... I don't even argue for deck diversity, even though that's like a result of what I'm actually arguing for, and that's like playstyle diversity. I want I want fast, aggressive decks. I want like some tap out control decks. I want some hardcore control decks like Miracles. I want some like mid range combo decks like Elves. I want also like dedicated mid range decks like Maverick. And I felt like some of those strategies were significantly worse when Deathrite Shaman, especially in Grixis control, was around. I'm I'm not that like Grixis. Delva, I feel, was the overall best deck, especially to play in a big tournament. But Grixis Control, I just felt like it was so stupid and boring to play against. And that's that's just my main thing that I'm happy that we are relieved relieved of. So that's yeah. interesting. I think I think a lot of people who had a backlash against my article, they were upset that that decks like Grixis Control had gotten noticeably worse because they really wanted to play those blue mirrors because they felt that they were highly interactive um so what a, a lot of people are complaining about is like if legacy is a like i called it a turn two format in many ways because after the first two turns maybe three turns like one player can be significantly ahead um in particular if they're playing like mana accelerants like ancient tumor mox diamond so kind of going um back to that a little bit um i think like that's been the core change is that like the blue decks lost the mana accelerants now that's kind of the domain of the non-blue decks there's some blue decks obviously you know the phoenix has dark ritual storm has dark ritual sneak control has ancient tomb but those are mostly unfair blue decks um and so i guess my next thing would be like i agree 100 percent with julian uh, i don't really care about color diversity i care about um strategic diversity and I think, to an extent, the banning of Deathrite Shaman has opened up strategic diversity. Unfortunately, I think it's opened it up in such a way that, like, Brainstorm is still kind of the best card or the best, like, mid-to-late game engine. Um, so that means that in order to compete with the Brainstorm decks, a lot of these decks are pushing really hard to be uh, really effective in, like, the turn 1, 2, 3 window before, like, Brainstorm can become, like, overpowerful. So... Like, that's kind of what has happened, is that the formats become a lot faster. So instead of seeing more, like, decks like Maverick pop up, we're seeing more decks like Dark Depths and, like, Storm and Reanimator. So from, like, that point of view... And, and still, Legacy doesn't have a true aggro deck. Like, Eldrazi aggro and, like, Delver are, I guess, the closest, but neither of them are just, like... Mo both of them have, like, a significant amount of... Um, just like disruptive uh, like chalice pieces or like days force of will so there there still isn't like a zoo deck um so i don't know like i would i would be hoping for some printings that like bolster archetypes that are like bolster cards like green sun zenith and sylvan library which allow games uh decks to play longer games against the blue decks um while not being this stupid like turn one to two gotcha decks if that makes sense mm. i don't totally uh, agree <laughs> I think Dark Depths was better when Deathrite Shaman was on because that was one of its best matchups. And for me, Black Red Reanimator was better when 
Deathrite Shaman was around because that that was a fine matchup and the the meta game was better for Reanimator. Storm won like a GP with Deathrite Shaman around. Uh, I don't. I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing seeing any of that. I'm seeing people are, that the format's basically the same. Like like you said, people are still playing blue decks. They're playing against each other with blue decks. Uh, the Chalice decks are one of the best ways to fight that. That's the same as it was. I mean, the last GP with Deathrite Shaman was won by Mono Red Stompy. Mono Red Stompy is probably still the best uh, Chalice deck because Delver decks are the most popular strategy. Um, Maverick uh, and decks like that, I'm seeing just as much online as I was before Deathrite Shaman and after Deathrite Shaman. Those strategies are fine. They were never great, and they're still not great, but they're they're fine, and people who are good with those decks probably, I'm imagining winning about the same as they were with or without Deathrite Shaman around. It's interesting because, like, you would think if one was to agree with Eric, you would imagine maybe there's some kind of narrative. Like, people, they hear online that their deck is worse, so they play it less, and at the same time, they start playing different decks. I think the narrative was about Deathrite Shaman Delver being the best deck, and I and I think that that deck rewarded, and and still does rewards just basic good magic playing. So like people who are not necessarily playing a ton of Legacy all the time, but want to play a Legacy tournament and they are good at magic, like the kind of people who win tournaments, are gonna play that deck, and they're still gonna play that deck. So is there anything you don't enjoy about Legacy right now, Eric? <laughs> Format wise. Um, I mean, I don't like playing against the card Chalice of the Void, but otherwise, like, I I love Legacy, and I like it now, and I liked it before, and I, and I think it's really, really close to the same. Um, I kind of miss playing with Deathrite Shaman because it was pretty fun to play with, but as far as the changes in the format due to it, there, I just don't. I'm not seeing that many. Nothing yeah, that's drastic. An interesting, like, that's an interesting perspective. Um, like, I don't know. I guess I guess what I'm seeing is, like, basically more people are playing the um, the combo decks, really, that um, the combo decks and the chalice decks uh, that, like, were previously playing the, the blue decks. Um, like, I think that's what I'm seeing. And I'm not I think saying that the people that, like, playing I'm Storm saying... and stuff are the same people that were playing it before they banned Deathrite Shaman. I don't think the people winning with Storm, I think it's the exact same people. Like, it's yeah. not more or less people or people switching to it. It's the same people playing it. And well... Reanimator, I think I might have popularized it by winning a bunch of trophies with it. But it was better when Deathrite Shaman was around. And well... Depths, I think if you talk to any of the Depths players, and I'm sure a lot of them are listening, I think they would tell you that the format was better for Depths before they banned Deathrite Shaman. Yeah, so, um, th I think that could depths could be true. Reanimator could be true. I think Storm. Most Storm players I talked to said the deck got better with the banning of Probe because uh -huh. um, they actually found the deck to be way more consistent now. Now that they have Preordain and Thoughtseize, like those Preordain and Thoughtseize are kind of like clean, like seven or eight um, rating kind of cards. Whereas Probe and Therapy could vary wildly from like a five to a ten. Um, yeah. So they found the deck more consistent now. Um, added to that, like Deathrite Shaman was like somewhat effective against um, Storm, so like losing that was helpful. And, and Julian was saying Elves feels a lot stronger now too. Um, so I think there, like maybe some decks like Depths and Reanimator didn't get better with the banning, but I think some decks definitely did. And just not to pro provide the Elves perspective, like obviously 
in absolute power, of course, everybody lost out, but in relative power, I feel it's better. Like, I actually won the very first big tournament, the MKM in Prague, after Death Chain was banned. And I feel that we are also facing less hate, like, incidental hate that people used to have from the Grixis Delver Mirror. Like, I almost, like, over the past six months, I think I, I was, like, Marsh casualtyed, like, three times at most. And also Toxic Deluge, I see a lot less, which a lot of people used to have in their four-color control decks. And that's just something, like, nobody really sideboards dedicated hate against elves, because, like, I think in your, let, let me check your numbers, elves is, like, it's like 3.1, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Like, you don't bring in cursed totems, but you did face a lot of incidental hate from the Grixis Delver control, uh, Grixis Delver matchups, as well as, like, the Grixis control decks, who I think had more dedicated sideboard cards against Death mm -hmm. in Texas. You know, you know what I think that is, now that you mention it? I think it was because... Deathrite Shaman made it so you could cast True Name Nemesis on turn two, which meant everybody needed to have answers to that because True Name Nemesis is like a difficult card to beat on turn two, and now people yeah. are casting it on like turn five. So that is a pretty big difference as far as incidental hate goes. Um, yeah, and added to that, I think like I would not play a double black spell in my Grixis Delver deck anymore yeah, unless too. I were to like run like four black sources because it's just like too much of a liability in mirrors um and against other wasteland decks it's just very hard to cast uh whereas yeah. deathrite shaman really enabled oh you want to play this double black spell sure it's basically free yeah yeah I've, I've had the same experience when playing maverick i think maverick was actually one of the secretly better decks than people thought about it during the deathrite shaman meta but i think right now maverick is still quite good uh, but you face a lot less hate and just overall that's like basically if, if you know me I'm coming from the from the mid-range slash mid-range combo crowd and I just want these decks to do well because I feel they are very very healthy for the meta game as opposed to I guess Chalice is not really actually providing a service to the meta game even though I'm, I'm still opposed to like when people say they want Chalice banned I, I'm not on board with that at least I understand why they want that but overall I just feel like it's it's a reasonable card. <laughs> oh god, people are gonna quote me on that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, like obviously it doesn't feel fun to stare down a turn one chalice and then just lose, like, or be so far behind that it's almost impossible to recover. But it is a little bit of a counterbalance to the metagame, and it like adds some diversity. Um, so I'm I'm on board with that. But again, I'm with Julian. I want I want more of these probably quote unquote like slightly bad like decks like Maverick. Um, you can be... mention elves. That's fine. Yeah, sure. Maverick <laughs> and elves. Uh, I don't love elves. I I just I my personal pet peeve is playing against decks that take a long time uh, or a lot of game actions, and I have to sit there. So elves is like right on the cusp of that with your. Glimpse you must chains. hate high tide. I yeah, high tide is my least favorite deck ever. Storm I'm okay with because it takes very little time and it's deterministic, um, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just I want to see more unique strategies in Legacy, um, and to an extent, we've gotten that recently. Um, well, we've also got rid of some because there were some unique strategies that played Deathrite Shaman that are unplayable anymore, like Food Chain yeah, and like Alluring. You don't really see any. Yeah. Yep. No, that's fair. That's fair. You definitely did lose a little bit of those mid-rangey blue decks, um, but yeah, I don't know. I guess I guess I would like to see like a a better zoo type deck. That's um, never going to happen. You know, we're, but we're seeing a more of a variety of Delver decks. 
Yeah. Well, okay. I think no. I think like a zoo type deck could happen if there's another printing similar to Thalia, but like fit really well in the zoo strategy, well, for example. Jund was like semi playable till they banned Deathrite Shaman. I was playable for a. I would say Jund was playable for a period. Um, back in like 2013, 2014, and then I think it like just didn't get quite enough tools. Um, well, I went from being like you could play it in leagues and expect to do okay with it, or you could take it to like an SCG if you wanted. If you were into that deck, you could play it and you could expect to do okay with it. It was fine. It was okay against uh, uh, Delver and and expect to play that again a bunch. Now it's completely unplayable. Like you can't play that. Same same with uh, uh, bl- black white uh, Pekula or whatever they call. Uh, Dead Guy Ale? Yeah, Dead Guy Ale. That deck's... There's just no build to that deck you can really play anymore. I liked playing that deck. That deck was a lot of fun. It's super fair. (laughs) Deathrite Shaman deck. Yeah. Yeah. But again, my point is, like, I want there to be new printings um, to maybe make Brainstorm decks um, a little bit worse. But I don't want cards like Chalice of the Void or, like, new Grizzlebrand. I want, like, cards like Sylvan Library, Green Sun Zenith... Um, maybe Thalia, but not happy with that one. Um, yeah. But like cards, maybe like Eidolon of the Great Revel, but like, you know, more generally for aggro decks, um, for example, like those would be the cards that I would be really excited to see. I think you're, see. you're dreaming though. I mean, I think that <laughs> that Delver is going to be able to fight against any of these types of things that they could possibly print unless they like say on the card, this is uncounterable and... Ha- and ha- doesn't get targeted by lightning bolt. <laughs> like yeah, Delver can be, fight against anything right. like that. So and um, except for Chalice of the Void, which so then you got to deal with playing against you know decks. Well, that okay, are let's either... take, let's yeah, let's take an example. I've been playing I've been playing Hollow One in uh, Modern, and I actually think it's a really strong deck, and it could maybe even be ported to, over to Legacy. But the main problem is that like. Um, it's the combo decks uh, that are the problem, not necessarily the Delver decks, because yeah. in order to beat combo, you re- you really just need like powerful effects that like Thalia that like almost win the game. Yeah, I agree it's with a that. I think that. You. Sorry, um, go ahead. If Julian. I may interrupt you there, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I try a, a lot of wonky shit on Matching Online, and sometimes I even stream it. And maybe you guys saw me play like what I called Value Elves, which is basically like a Goblin version of Elves, where you play like Sylvan Messenger and Four Beast Whisperers. And it's really just, like, this grindy deck. And I've never felt that, like, Delva was really my limited factor with how well I could do with the deck. It was actually always combo. Like, I feel whenever you're playing a deck that's reasonable against Delva and that's not blue and not playing Chalice, then combo is always going to be a struggle. Because Delva is the kind of matchup you can buy a lot of time against Delva. And, like, buying time against Delva with stuff like, I don't know, Carpet of Flowers, Meekstone, whatever, like, even Kevin... That time, they can never make up. They have to eventually, like, they're going to remove the meek stone or they're going to have enough critical mass, but then they still have to beat you. Whereas when you're playing against combo, once they get rid of whatever's stopping them from winning, they win immediately. And that's why it feels like if you're playing a non-blue deck against combo, I always feel like that's, that's like, how would you call it? That's like the one thing that's keeping a deck out of the metagame for me right now. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think that that, like, for example, the the goblins community was really excited when they banned Deathrite Shaman because uh, they thought that their lackey was not very good because they couldn't get through Deathrite Shaman. But it turns out that their lackey's not very good because <laughs> turn one Gristlebrand. 
is a thing. <laughs> like, I think those decks are, they just can't, they can't beat combo is the problem. And maybe Deathrite Shaman made it so that their best matchup was uh, not as good as it, as it could have been. But it doesn't make those decks better in the format overall. Yeah, no, I, I agree with Eric that it's going to be hard to see any, like, real traction for decks like Maverick, Goblin, Zoo, um, but I can hope at least. <laughs> I actually want to try out Zoo. I've been thinking about Zoo for a while, and I, I still think it's really not there, like, not even, like, Tier 3, but I kind of want to see what happens if you start showing up with, like, turn 1, I don't know, White Nakatra, turn 2, Kvasali, Pride Mage, attack you for 4, like... Bolt your blocker, whatever, what have you. It's probably not going to be great. Uh, Alright, this is what Zoo needs. Zoo needs, like, a Mox Amber, but it only works in Zoo somehow. Then <laughs> then I think it could be good. Oh, we should be working at R&D. <laughs> I want to play Dead Guyle again. That deck was fun. <laughs> um, well, those decks, those decks um, play, like, Chrome Mox, which is just a horrible card. Yeah. But it, it does sort of offer what they are kind of looking for. Yeah. Bob mentioned that he feels like we need more non-blue decks that, I, I want to say, like, decrease variants, like Greens and Synod, uh, Sylvan Library. And I wonder whether Wizards' new dedication to having more flexible cards is maybe going to add some of that. Because, like, if they do best of one in an arena, they are going to print more cards that are more flexible, like split cards and stuff. And the problem with split cards is always, like, both sides are overcosted, and because of that, not great against Delver. But maybe, maybe a card slips through and that can become playable in Legacy, who knows. Well, like, I think there have been a couple, right? Like, a braid, I think, is one that comes to mind that is seeing a good amount of play. Um, I'm trying to think of any, any other notable ones. I feel like there's at least one other, but I don't know. There must be more, yeah. But cool maybe we're going to see more in the future, even. Yeah. You guys so, want to talk about the uh, new uh, potential proposed mulligan rule now? The so-called London mulligan. Yeah, it was, it was announced uh, very recently at their latest stream, and it's going to be in effect for just one tournament, but if it does well, they will introduce it for all of Magic. And they clearly pointed out not only like certain formats, but they actually made a conscious decision. If it's going to come, it's going to be here for all of Magic. And Bob, do you want to explain how that mulligan rule works? Sure. So um, under the new rules, every time you mulligan, um, you actually, how it works is you mulligan and then you draw seven cards. Then say you mulligan once, then you pick one card from your hand and you put it on the bottom of your library. Um, then you decide if you want to keep that six or not. So uh, basically, it's akin to right now when you mulligan, you get a scry, which is sort of like an opt. This one is more like when you mulligan, you get a brainstorm, and you get to basically put the cards that you don't like and put them on the bottom of your library, which is kind of effectively shuffling them away. Um, so it just it makes it much, much better to mulligan. And um, it, I think like the biggest gainers from this rule, in Legacy at least, um, are the Chalice of the Void decks. And to a lesser extent, um, some of the combo decks like Reanimator and Dredge definitely benefit a lot because they mulligan a fair amount. But on the flip side, it is also easier to find hate for those decks in the post-board games, which I think are going to be more important. So I'm not sure how it's going to work for those decks. But to me, the biggest winners are definitely like the Chalice Leyline decks. And if you look at like Vintage, I think that Dredge obviously gets a massive boost and Shops as well does as well, whereas the blue decks don't necessarily see as much of a boost. Um, so that's my first impression. Yeah, Shops is interesting. I actually never didn't thought about how, how it's going to change for Shops, but I played my fair amount of Shops, and yeah, there, there's like many hands where you really only feel like you need Workshop and then like two pieces of hate and then whatever, you're probably going to get there. Uh, but sometimes like your hands look really sketchy. 
Uh, with regards to dredge, uh, I think I've read the numbers that it used to be like, including serum powder, you were like 95% to find Bazaar, and in practice that number was maybe even a little lower because you don't want to serum powder hands that have like three or four like bridges. But now it's closer to like 99% to actually find Bazaar. But on the flip side, you're also much more likely to, f uh, not much more likely, but um, more likely to also find Leyline against them. But of course, they're also more likely to keep hands that have like Bazaar, Dredger, Land, and Removal for Leyline. So we got some numbers of that, like our friends Min and Max Gilmore on their blog. I think it's called, is it minmaxblog.com? We're going to provide it in the show notes. They ran the numbers on a couple of those things. And for example, if you want to get a Chalice of the Void on turn one in like a Stompy type of deck, I think they did the numbers for Moon Stompy, which also includes uh, Simeon Spirit Guide. It used to be that around 50%, actually I think it was for Eldrazi, so no Spirit Guides. Anyway, it used to be in, under the current Mulligan rule, you're about to get a Chalice of the One on the first turn 50% of the time if you mulligan for it. Whereas under the new proposed rule, it's closer to 60%, which like overall is like a 20% increase. So like 20 out of 100 more games, you basically, or one in five games, you get a Chalice of the Void that you otherwise wouldn't have gotten. And I agree that the boost that the opposing deck gets is probably not as big as, as that, because the opposing deck usually, especially on the draw, they need like Force of plus Pitch and a reasonable hand or be a deck that doesn't care about Chalice, of course. So I totally agree that that's gonna give a boost to those decks, but overall, I still feel like I'm kinda liking this, because like what Wizard said is their intention is to decrease the number of so-called non-games, and I do feel that was influenced by LSV mulliganing to, I think, four in game five of the last Pro Tour, which Andrew Allenbogen ended up winning. Hey, hey, cardboard life, hey. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like, I think it's a good thing, and actually it's a kind of mulligan rule that feels very intuitive to to how I feel it should be, because right now I feel in Legacy, mulliganing is a pretty big deal. Like, when I mulligan to six on the play, I feel really behind, unless I'm playing a combo deck, like a dedicated combo deck, not a critical mass combo deck like Fs, but also in other decks. Like, if I play the Miracle's Mirror or something, I mulligan to five or six on a play, it just feels so bad, and I think that's gonna help with that a little bit at least. I don't agree with you. <laughs> oh, of course, that's why you're on the cast, right? I think you're I like think it's going to be great. From Thailand that we I think it's going to be great. That. <laughs> great for limited, because like you don't mulligan that often in limited already, just because it's so bad. Um, you just mulligan when you don't have a functional hand, basically. So then now your second, your first mulligan is almost always going to work out, um, and then you just get rid of your worst card. So that's that's great, right? And that's going to definitely reduce the number of non-games and probably in standard too. I don't play a ton of standard, so I think it's great there. But in Legacy, it's just going to increase the number of non-games because it's going to benefit only the decks that create non-games. So like Chalice decks and turn and, and decks that uh, play two-card combos. Um, because the other decks all play cantrips and you're incentivized not to mulligan to certain cards because you're playing cantrips. So it's only going to benefit the decks that want non-games. <laughs> and Elves is kind of up there. But does Chalice actually create a non-game just because you get it on the first turn? Does yes. Like, <laughs> That's I don't exactly know, when it's like a non-game against the blue deck. I'm looking at my hand and it's like, okay, cool. Like, I yeah, have one Chal Chalice. That I see the whole reason you play Chalice is that it's basically a one-card combo against a lot of decks. But which decks really? Like, I can see Miracles. Every even cantrip though, like, deck. Not even that much. Yeah, every cantrip deck. Yeah, because your whole the whole cantrip deck thing is that your cantrips find certain cards, and if you remove 30% uh, of your deck, which is the cantrips, then you're just naturally finding your cards, but your deck isn't built to do that. 
Mm-hmm. We were talking about that in Blue Chat, and like the the one thing I was looking to explore was, so why don't we play Cardsickers two? And Bob made a pretty good point about actually the one thing that's stopping us is Delva, because because the thing is mana. I don't know how you put it. You said like mana is the excess we fight on. And if we voluntarily increase our mana cost, we are inherently going to be weaker, even though the spells might become a little better, but like we lose lose out on tempo, and then we get probably punished by Diver. I'm just well, wondering, like, maybe sorry. if it... In, like, to me, if more Chalice ends up incentivizing people to play less cantrips, I feel that's a good thing. Even no. though I think the problem is that not enough people would be playing Chalice to actually make that a reasonable thing. Like, you always have this problem if you have, like, a, a strong strategy, but not enough people are playing it, then you don't... You're not incentivized to actually, like, change your main deck because of that, and then you're just trying to avoid it. So every time you run to Chalice, you feel like, oh, I lost the coin flip, but better luck next round. I, th- I think that's the problem, because overall, I don't, I don't think Chalice is that big of a problem. Like, Chalice is really only a problem, like, on the first turn, because if you're if you're on the play and your opponent has chalice, there's so many ways you can fight over that. The problem, no, the problem with chalice is that against cantrip decks, a lot of the time you literally cannot play a game of magic because you're you're a cantrip deck, and even like Delver, your 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 win cons are also one mana, so you you don't get to play any magic at all. So um, maybe you should play more cards in the main deck that deal with chalice. Okay, but then what? How are you gonna you gonna play? Seven of them, like you, you get. No, you you're get removing four forces, cantrips. You get, I get, you get four forces, and then you get like I don't know. Yeah, but your cantrips find the answers to the chalice, and so the chalice makes it so you can't find the answers. Like that's like in the sideboard yeah, games. You, pretty weak if the opponent has like eight answers to chalice, uh, even on the draw. Yeah, but there's like no way you're building a blue like deck that. with eight answers to chalice. That's what I'm saying. Maybe that's where we are going, and I think we are not going there because not enough people are playing chalice to make it worth it. But I would love to see that. I mean, Maybe, like more mid-range focus. That becomes like, a little bit like like how Shops is in vintage. You know how like blue decks sideboards are just eight graveyard hate and then like six artifact hate and like two cards for blue decks. You know? Yeah. Yeah, but I think that, that that's the beauty of of Chalice because like Chalice is easier to hate than the graveyard. Graveyard requires like very dedicated cards, whereas Chalice, like speaking on the play, if you have spare PS, that's like you're you're good to go. But even even stuff like a braid or engineered explosives, I feel like is is pretty good against playing against shells. It's a little bit slow, but so be it. Like they got the turn on shells, they gotta have some kind of. How many how many of those are you gonna play though? Probably four first of first, and then like three or four in the main deck. And then you're probably four more cards that to actually have it answered chalice. Yeah, of course. Because Chalice got concept. better with the new Mulligan rule. That seems yeah. terrible. That seems awful to me. No, I, th- I think <laughs> those cards don't do anything against so many things. Like a no, braid, it's like that's such a saying. bad like, card in the main deck. That's what I'm saying. You play a braid, you play engine explosives, and it's gonna be better because the format is gonna be slower. Like, I'm what's gonna happen when you get when you get turn one reanimated? The- that's okay. That happens. That's why it's sideboard so far. Like the, the cards you're playing in that spot, they won't help you too much anyway. Like your Pondor or your Preordain or whatever. But I'm just basically coming from a point of view. <laughs> okay, maybe that's a bit revisionist, but I want to go back to leg- to what Legacy was like before Delva and Grizzlebrand, where it was a little slower, where you could play like Rock Swarmonk and shit. <laughs> you and, and Bob should make your own format. Maybe, Bob gets to create new cards that he can get with Green Sun Zenith. <laughs> and you get to play old Legacy, and you guys can ban, <laughs> make your own ban list. It's like a, it's like a local EDH scene where they, you know everybody has their own ban list. Yeah, that, that's my legacy, yeah. I, I would think so. <laughs> it's just like, this is where I want to go back because the Delva has changed 
like Delva is the big Delva and Combo are the two big police forces in Legacy that limit what you can play. Maybe Storm even more. But with regards to like playing a more mid-rangey game, I think if Delva didn't exist, I could play more hate against Storm. And of course, you could also argue the other way around. If Storm didn't exist, you could play more hate against Delva. Um, mm. It's just like I feel like Delva is, is putting a really strong grip on what you can like play and get away with, like. And that's why I don't hate it if Delva gets a little weaker. Overall, as a strategy. But if it's being replaced by Chalice, is that better or worse? Uh, I think that's okay because like the legacy basically. The legacy I imagine that's cool is where you can play Knight of the Reliquary and not feel bad for it. That's what I've, how I've always put it. I don't know if you guys heard it. I think I've said it on the podcast before. I just I want to go back to a kind of legacy where you play Knight of the Reliquary and you feel good about it. I mean, you can play no, Knight of the Reliquary. Yeah, Reliquary. people are doing that now. Yeah, if you if you play a card Chalice. that lets you like... <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you play Chalice with it or if you play like, um, you know, Mox Diamond and have it on turn one or two, then, then it's a good card. Yeah, let yeah. me play Noble Hierarch. Yeah, people mm. are doing that. Yeah. Maverick is fine. I, you've played it. You didn't. You, you did a video with it, didn't you? Do all right. Yeah, I think Green Red Maverick is pretty fine. Yeah, but it could be better. Like, but I mean, a, back, one, back to the to back be. to the Mulligan thing. I think so. I, I think you're again. You're kind of like living in this fantasy world where where certain things are going to change Magic in general. Like people are still going to be playing. Uh, the powerful cards that are powerful now, not the ones that were powerful 10 years ago, you know? But the mulligan is just going to incentivize people to play more decks that are non-interactive decks and that are looking for one or two specific cards every game. Yeah, that's my biggest concern and why I was shocked that they like literally came out and said that they didn't test it for anything outside of Standard and Limited and they're kind of using the, the Mythic Championship as, as guinea pigs, essentially. But I, I think they might need to go a step further, and maybe I'll tweet at them, but I think like Modern is a really good testing ground, and it could be very broken in Modern, maybe even more so in Legacy and Vintage. But if it's fine in Modern, I don't think that necessarily means it's fine in Legacy or Vintage. So I think they should like have like a big MCQ or some other big event also that weekend to test uh, Legacy and Vintage as well. Um, because I think those are also very different formats. I think Vintage is the one I'm most concerned about, um, just because of Bazaar and Workshop. Um, but I think obviously Legacy, it's going to be a huge change as well. Yeah, I think I think that w my guess is that they're going to do this thing with Modern, and then they're not going to use this Mulligan rule. Yeah, I mean in Modern, I think it's like extremely busted with Dredge and Tron, especially. Like Tron is literally going to have turn three Tron like yeah. eighty, ninety percent of the time now. Um, and literally, Tron, like, the only problem is sometimes you just mulliganed and then you couldn't find it. Um, now, it's that that probability is just, like, so far reduced. So that deck is going to be even more ridiculous than it already is. A Dredge, a Dredge or Tron, the two kind of decks you would be looking to register for the uh, Mythic Championship in London? Well, I'm not going, but... No, if I, I, I know. Yeah, if I, if I were, then I would definitely start... Um, with the decks that got a noticeable improvement from the new rule because not enough people are going to have adequate testing for that rule. I really feel bad for all yeah. the people going oh, to yeah. that Mythic Championship because A, they're playing, the limited portion is a pre-release, so the only way they can test that is if they like find some program that allows them to like, uh, like I guess on Magic Online, maybe you will be able to play it for a few days before the MC, but um, you would have to find like another program that like has the draft 
cards available even before like that if 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 you want to test it if you want to give it any real amount of testing plus then with the modern side you really need a team at least you can at least test it with a team but um it's it's going to be interesting to see if like maybe the uh enfranchised players with big testing teams are going to do even better than uh yeah. than usual yeah i think it's going to be really lopsided in that sense uh i expect there to be like clearly broken decks that some teams find based on the new mulligan rule yeah yeah i'm with eric well yeah i don't know i'm like 50 50 because i think on one hand it's like a very interesting rule and it's like you're giving these decks a brainstorm it's not like you're giving them like ancestral recall or whatever so i could see a world that it doesn't break the format but it does you know skew things even more to challenge like for example it's 15 percent, maybe it becomes like 25 percent um like i could see that being a world that could be okay um but it also could just be like completely bonkers in certain like you know strategies that it's just like something we should avoid so we'll see yeah, I'm, i might totally be biased because i always feel like f's is definitely gonna stand to benefit from that rules change uh because like the f's is probably the deck that mulligan subversed in all of legacy just because you only have like 14 initial mana sources and a lot of times you really try to avoid mulligan just because you might mulligan again and that would be like super bad <laughs> uh i'm still i'm just excited because like i'm not that happy about how impactful like mulligans are in legacy and some people also mentioned that like being on the play or the draw is like a big difference and that's something that wizard should address at some point uh which is probably like more pronounced in vintage and legacy than it is in like in the other formats maybe even modern to a certain degree so i was talking to bbd and he having played all the formats he was pretty certain that standard was the most play draw dependent which i think is is super interesting um but i agree i like I think, like, a cool rule would be, like, if you're on the draw, you get a scry. Just start there, kind of. Um, because, like, Lotus Petals would just be way too powerful. Like, that's how, that's how Hearthstone yeah, is. It's a um, but um, a scry, I think, could be, you know, a step in the right direction for being on the draw. You get a free scry. Um, I think that could be interesting, too. But then again, like, we're getting to the point where, like, you know, uh, how much variance do we want in Magic? Because the answer is not zero, otherwise we would be better off playing something like chess. And I think a big reason, like Artifact, that game didn't take off, was that it was just it was so complicated and like skill intensive that like a lot of people were just turned off by by the complexity. Um, so like I definitely think you want some variance for newer players to be able to like pick it up and win games. Um, the question is really just how much. So. Yeah, I think that that's what it really comes down to. Like, you want to decrease variance a little bit, but at the same time, like you guys mentioned, you might actually increase it by making Chalice. Um, it's interesting. You're making Chalice decks more consistent, thereby increasing the variance in the format with a change that was aimed at decreasing variance. Like, if I was to follow your line of arguing, which I can totally see being reasonable, even though I maybe it's just like inside me, I, I want to be excited for it and just want to see. Like, I was. I'm always a little excited for like big changes in legacy, um, but I think eventually we will see how it works out. Like it would be cool if you could actually test that, like even like in a custom league, but that's not really possible. But maybe people are gonna try that out on paper and give us some yeah. feedback. I wish I could have before doing this podcast that I could have tested some out. I really had wished I had that option available to me, uh, but I didn't want to play on cockatrice or something like that. It's not, not <laughs> worth it. Okay. Anything else you guys want to add for now? No, I think uh, no? that's it for me. That's it for you? Okay, yep. so are you gonna, are guys going to hop on the challenge? I think Eric already said he's not going to play in the challenge. That's starting in half an hour. It starts at 11 p.m. It seems pretty ambitious. Yeah, <laughs> too late for me. I never play him. Okay, Bob, are you playing? 
Uh, probably not today. I was thinking about double queuing, but I decided to play the modern MCQ instead. I just playing? double queuing is just very stressful, and uh, I'm gonna avoid that. <laughs> what are you playing? Hollow One. Hollow One. So good luck with that. Uh, thanks for everyone for tuning in. Thanks Eric for coming on as a special guest. Uh, thanks for having me. Evening. And yeah, if you like this podcast, let us know. Uh, this is actually the thing that we get the least feedback on, so I'm always happy that when we get feedback on the podcast, that would be really nice. Um, we are recently also on Stitcher and Spotify if you want to like subscribe to us there. And thanks to our, well, I guess, non-existent sponsors for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we should work on that. <laughs> oh, we should try. We should try. And now I really got to run because I got a very special appointment. <laughs> 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 see, see you guys soon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.